you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 5. Zechariah 5. While you're opening there in the Word, you might just read two of the verses that we'll be singing from the hymn Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, after this sermon. Uh, it's the two middle ones. Uh, it's a very interesting hymn for a lot of different reasons. It's a lovely hymn. Uh, it's very special in my own heart. Mine and Rebecca's as well. Uh, this was the, one of the hymns that we sang at our wedding. This is also a hymn that we sang at my ordination service. It's also a hymn that we sang the installation service here at Centennial. And uh, this might weird some of us out here, but I don't think it should. Uh, this will also be a hymn that we sing at my funeral whenever that time should come. It is that important to me. It has stuck with me uh, from the early times of my faith, uh, these two verses especially. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. A perfect introduction for our sermon text this morning. Our main point is this. Jesus Christ pays the price for his people's sin. Let's pray, and we'll go to God's word. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the gospel of grace and mercy that we find within. At the same time, God, thank you for your justice that we find within. Thank you for the fullness of revelation of your own character that we find within this word that you have given us. God, thank you. Thank you. And now, would you use it to pierce our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. This is Zechariah chapter 5, four verses, one vision. Again, I lift my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones." This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this word, it remains forever. And on first glance, it could seem like bad news, right? I would encourage you to remember the main point. Jesus Christ pays the price for his people's sins. Let's see this text in three points. First, communication. Second, curse. And then third, Christ's curse-consuming work. First, let's look at God's preferred method of, number one, communication, verses one and two. 
Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. John chapter 1 verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits. And it's width, 10. Zechariah chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 shows us the same truth that those other Bible passages do as well. That God's preferred method and his perfect method of communication is his word. That's how the earth and all of creation came into being. By the word of his mouth, he spoke it. Just like Peter said, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, that implication then for us in Zechariah, right? Because you're thinking, I hear what you're saying, but the flying scroll is a little bit different to me than what Paul's saying in his letter when he's speaking about God's word being God-breathed, okay? I get one, the other one's a little harder for me not to see, right? Because we can see that vision pretty clearly, right? Uh, but, to, but to kind of wrap my mind around. But, but that's the thing is that, is that God is so gracious as to not only communicate in word, but, but he also allows it in many different varied ways where, for instance, if you're thinking about this, Moses' writing is not David's writing, is not Isaiah's writing, is not John's writing, is not Paul's writing, is not Peter's, is not Zechariah's, right? We get all of these different realities where the Holy Spirit is carrying these men along, is, is shoring them up, and, and then we are able to have these Genre is a little bit tricky, right? But these different genres, right? David is a poet. He's a, he's a warrior king. He's also a poet king, right? David slayed his tens of thousands. He also wrote poetry. So what do we get in the Psalter, right? Uh, there are others who wrote those as well. And so we see all of these different methods of communication all flowing through that overarching and direct lens of God's capital W word. And so here we get Zechariah giving us something carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have it from God, shored up, more fully confirmed, perfect in its presentation and in its recording. And 
It's a scroll flying across the sky, which is very different than Peter or from Paul, from Moses or from David. Uh, nowadays, scholars would call this uh, apocalyptic. And remember, I've, I've kind of used this illustration before, but a, apocalyptic literature, Revelation, Zechariah, Daniel, it's like a pop-up book. You open it up, you get a pop-up. You know, I've got kids, so we've got pop-up books until Isaac or Miriam Line or Carwin rip them, right? And then they're gone. But, you know, when you, you pop it up, you see it, right? You can see it. That's what it is, all right? So we use the word genre. We use these different things to describe it. But in reality, this writing style is very natural to us because we see it. Scrolls flying across the sky, just like an airplane does. You can see it in your mind's eye if you just gave it a moment of thought. And... And in that moment, it actually becomes much simpler. Sometimes we try to make it very complicated. No way I can understand that. No way. There's no way, right? And it's, well, actually there is. It, it's, it's almost so simple that it can feel complicated. And so we need to take a step back and take a breath and recognize that God is revealing something to us in a really wonderful way. We, we see this scroll for all to see flying across the sky. And that is what is happening. And, and as, as it's flying across, the implication of this vision is that everybody can see it. And lest we worry that we can't, as we were talking with the children, 30 feet by 15 feet. That's the cubits, right? If we kind of did the translation, uh, give or take a few feet, right? 30 by 15. It's like a school bus, all right? I mean, it's like a medium-sized personal aircraft we're talking about here, flying across the sky in scroll format. And the point being that God's preferred method of communication is his word. And that is put into picture format. Whether it's communicated by picture, by metaphor, by declaration, or by application, that reality stands. And it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who as we saw, as we were mentioning some of those other words, John 1.14, is the word made flesh. In other words, the intent of God's communication is revelation of who he is, of God's very character, and of who we were made to be. This is why the scroll is in the sky and so very large that, that God and his character and his will might be revealed. I hope y'all noticed it uh, in our liturgy this morning, our, our call to worship. Psalm 119, uh, speaking of God's word. Hymn number one, speaking of, of how God is the one who's doing this. A great number one hymn, by the way. It's a lovely number one for any hymnal. But then we get our confession of faith, the Ten Commandments, which we always think about as rules, right? That's not true. The Ten Commandments are not rules first. You heard it here. The Ten Commandments first are God's revelation of his character. Who is God? The Ten Commandments. They are one and the same. That is the full summation of God's character. That's why they're so important to us. It's because God is important to us, not rules. And yet, as we continue in that, we see there is an appropriate way to live through that, right? And which is what we confessed. But remember that first part, the preface. I'll encourage you to do it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. What comes first, right? Rules or grace. Remember, grace is a gift. What comes first? Rules or grace? Check it out. Exodus chapter 20. It's a lovely study 
for all of us to see. And that's what we confessed. And then, of course, we sing Psalm 1, right? The first psalm, as God would have it. The summative psalm, right? The one where you read it and you say, what's this book going to be about, right? What's this song book all about? Blessed is the man who walks not in all of that stuff, but finds his delight in the law that is the character of God. How does God reveal that? His word. Don't y'all see it? And you can find it all throughout the scripture. I picked a spattering. And, and Judy in, in tandem as we're working through this picked a spattering. <laughs> There's more. There's so much more. And we see this as God is revealing his preferred method of communication. His word. And here comes the necessary shock to all of humanity, including ourselves, right? It's our second point. And this is that part where you're thinking, well, I see what he's communicating. It doesn't look good, right? That's kind of where we're at right now. And that's the curse, which is the first part of verse 3. Now, let me read it. Then he said, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. With God's perfection comes perfect justice. Okay? In other words, if God's law is broken, then perfect punishment also follows. And if you're familiar with the beginnings of humanity, you know that we're in trouble, right? Uh, that's the start to God's salvation history, is this revealing of how it all began. As Adam and Eve were created, they had, among other rules that were implicit, one explicit command from God. Don't pluck the fruit of that tree and eat it, right? Don't take of it, okay? And surely many of us know the end of that story. They do. And uh, in that sin, in that fall, right, uh, uh, as humanity fell in Adam, as we see the sins of Adam and Eve bear out, the curse comes. What is the curse? You see some explicit pieces of it in Genesis 3, but it's beyond that. And maybe an easy way to say it is everything's warped. Uh, it's not an understatement to say everything got messed up. Okay? And we see that in thorns and thistles and vines. We see it in childbirth because that labor, which would have been so very beautiful, becomes so very painful. Mothers, y'all know this. Fathers who have been in the room, even you know this. And, and there's a reality that bears out in this curse that then spreads across everything. And that corruption has remained and it's inherited as we continue through the generations. And even if it wasn't, we would fall into sin on our own, which we do on a daily basis if we just stop, pause, and think about our own lives for a moment, right? The very bad news of the curse. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 helps us put some words to this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. And do them. We read uh, that, uh, that verse from Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. You know, we might be good at fulfilling one or two of God's laws. Maybe even three or four. Maybe five or six. Seven or eight. Maybe even nine. But never ten. That's what Paul said. I had it all until I got to the last one. 
That's what he said in Romans chapter 7. Check it out. In the Word, we see this reality that we can try as hard as we can and still fall flat on our face. Of Martin Luther, that great reformer of the church who nailed those theses onto the Wittenberg doors, right, and began this spark, poof, reformation back to the basics, rediscovering the grace that was so deeply missing from the church at that time, borderline sending people straight to hell because it was a false gospel, thinking people could save themselves. Martin Luther said this. This is what he said as he was going about that. He said, if anybody in the entire world could have saved themselves by works, it would have been me because I tried harder and longer and more than anyone and in his great despair after realizing day after day marching in this desperate desire to save his eternal soul from condemnation from the Lord after weeks and months of deep spiritual despair what did he do? He flew to God's word and he said is this true? Because if so, it's over for all of us. And what did he find? He found good news. He found something beyond works of the flesh that he realized, for instance in Galatians 3, could never save but only further solidify the curse. Right? Have y'all felt that? Do you try to do that in your life? We fall into it very easily. Try, try, try again. Spiritually speaking. Y'all feel that? I hope you haven't. But in all likelihood, you have. And it is for this very reason that the curse goes out. We are law breakers. It is why we have so much struggle and so much trial and so much tumult and so much pain. And at the same time, with God's perfection comes not only a perfect justice, but also a perfect love. In other words, God's love for his creation, humanity being the pinnacle, reveals how the curse will be dealt with. It's our main point this morning. Remember, Jesus Christ pays the price for his people's sin. And that breaks that curse. And this is our third point. Christ's curse-consuming work. Second part of verse 3 into verse 4. Zechariah chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 is who we are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ work on our behalf. You see it? You see what it is? Who are we? Verses 3 and 4. Thieves and liars. Not every Sunday will I say that, right? Who are you? You thieves and liars, every one of you, right? Uh, it's like, whoa, what are we, what are we doing? That is, that is not me speaking this time. 
That's God's word saying that we, all of us, including me, are thieves and liars. As this word is going out over the whole world, this giant scroll, each side having one piece of this puzzle, revealing that we are thieves and liars. And before and after the coming of Jesus, followers of God have had this tendency to point a finger at me and say, you're wrong. I'm not a thief. I haven't stolen anything since that bubblegum packet from that corner lot, you know, when I was seven years old or something like that. I'm not a thief. I haven't stolen a single thing in my life. I don't lie. You calling me out? I'm not lying, right? If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. Before and after Jesus, Christians will say that. Not just to me, but to themselves and to each other. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You hear that all. You hear that all. Uh, Zechariah chapter 5 verse 4. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timbers and stone. When we focus on ourselves or other people, rather than God, we steal that which God deserves. Period. That is what the word says. When we focus on ourselves and on other people, good stuff, more than God, or in place of God, we are, we are thieves, every one of us. And we are all guilty of such things. When we live our lives in such a way that would seem to be an attempt to disprove Jesus, lives of sin that have a lot of anger and malice and wrath and immorality and slovenliness, sloth, right? When we live these lives of idle talk and rumor and lie, we bear false witness to the truth of God. It is reality. And it should be very convicting. Here's the point. Christians... Confessors of the Lord Jesus, Christians will acknowledge their deep sinfulness and need for salvation through the work of God. In other words, we will say in the affirmative, I am a thief and liar. To truly acknowledge the work of God on our behalf, seen in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to truly acknowledge our need. In other words, our sinfulness, our need for the work to be done in the first place. We are all sinners in need of saving grace. And the difference between a sinner and a Christian is that a Christian is a sinner who has acknowledged the need for that grace and confessed, God, I need help. Will you help me? And God said, yes. And he said it by sending his son, Jesus. 
on that person's behalf. That is the only difference. In other words, the confession of the mouth and the gift of faith from God. It's in that moment. In that moment when we confess with our mouth and when we believe in the depths of our soul by the working of the Holy Spirit, that, to quote that main point, Jesus pays the price for his people's sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It starts with an acknowledgement of the depth of our own sinfulness and weakness, our own inability. And in that sinful weakness and inability, we are bound by our own worldly and fleshly desires. And they are different depending on the person. I see a whole lot of them because I'm standing up here looking at y'all, right? That's what I do, you know, and y'all see it too and me, I'm sure. We are sinners. And yet, the Lord Jesus, he lives this perfect life and he dies this death on the cross. The perfect life makes it a perfect sacrifice. The perfect sacrifice is payment for our sins, collectively, cumulatively, the people of God. And as he is paying this price, receiving the wrath of God for us, he is doing two things. Receiving the punishment, giving us his righteousness. Okay? The great exchange. That is how we walk through, to use that colloquial term, the men of the Revelation Bible study might not approve. That is how we walk through the pearly gates, unaccosted. It is the work of Jesus on our behalf. That is the good news, that, that Jesus Christ pays the price for his people's sin. Now let's apply the text, because it is very important for us as Christians. Very important. Number one, if you are not reading God's word, you are not desirous to communicate with God. Let me say it again. If you are not reading God's word, you are not desirous to communicate with God. Because that is how he communicates with his people and this world and Christians desire to communicate with God. What does your word intake look like? If it's just sharing Bible verses on Facebook, that doesn't count. That is not to say that we sin and that we fall short and that we are busy and that and that and that and yet as Christians our desire is to communicate with God and God communicates in one primary way his word number two we live in a fallen world this means a couple different things it means that stuff goes wrong Miscommunication, lack of communication, medical illnesses, both mental and physical, broken relationships, broken stuff, tragedies, despair, and usually, as I have seen it, a sick combination of some multitude of those things, right? And I'm sure that y'all have experienced it. Are you prepared for that? Because God throughout the entirety of his word has told us where we are. We are not home. We are in a corrupted place, a fallen world. Stuff goes wrong. Why then do we, 
who have been informed of such things get so surprised and caught off guard when they come our way. It's because we are not preparing ourselves. I don't want y'all to be negative or pessimistic or cynical. I don't think the scriptures call us to that. But the scriptures, they do call us to sobriety, to a sober seriousness and preparation, a preparedness of things that might come our way. And here's the tough part. If you were not prepared, but are currently going through one of those fallen world situations I just mentioned, which could be some of us here, be encouraged that the situation did not come as a surprise to God. And we know elsewhere in the Word that God is good. And that God is on our side. That's what David says. God is on our side. That God is on our side. That God is working. And he's working in you. Even if you were not prepared. God is working. God has you in his arms. As we confess in the Lord Jesus. Number three. Do you first acknowledge your own sinfulness before acknowledging other people's sinfulness? This scroll of Zechariah's vision that is flying across the sky, it reveals a curse that affects us all. And sometimes, since that's the case, maybe I won't look at myself first, but maybe I'll point the finger out. <laughs> It's easier that way, right? It affects us all, so surely, you know, it affects you, right? That's, that's all on you. And sometimes we, we, we do that first. Uh, scripture would call us to a different way. Are we ones who operate in humility, seeking out our own weaknesses instead of transferring guilt to others? Number four, at the same time, the same time we're thinking about this transferal of guilt and pointing the finger. Are you expecting perfection from others? We live in a cursed world, a fallen place, a place filled with imperfect people who are clearly affected by the curse. And so if we are ones expecting perfection from others, how are you dealing then with the disappointment of the imperfection? Family, work, church, friend group, school. This, this applies to it all. And here's a follow-up. How destructive has it been in your own life as well as others to expect perfection when that literally cannot and can never be on this side of the veil achieved? Number five. The Lord describes the payment and punishment of our sin like a living plague. Did you notice it at the end of verse 4? It's going to consume the people and it's even going to consume the house. It's like, like acid or something. It's like this plague that's very intense, right? If you notice the language, uh, and this language is, is very Levitical. It's hearkening back to the law where if you had some kind of mold or some kind of sickness like a, like a skin disease in, in that time, uh, sometimes it would affect the actual building that you were in. And so the Levitical law would tell you, burn it down. 
do away with it, right? If it's, if it's infected, it's over. And, and that's a part of this, okay? That's a part of the fallen world. That's a part of the curse. And so now we have it affected here, and we see it coming out, this curse, and we're thinking, what are we going to do? How is this going to work? It's going across the whole land. It's a giant thing like an airplane. This is crazy. But at the same time, we know that Jesus Christ consumes this curse by being consumed on our behalf. This is the gospel. And here's where I think we need to conclude today. I know that there could be visitors in our midst, guests, as it were, in our house. I know that we could have those on our live stream who are not a part uh, particularly of our fellowship, though I hope you will be. But let's talk centennial family real quick. We are ones who confess in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ones who hold within us the hope of eternal life. We are ones who have a joy, who have a peace, who have a contentment that can never be taken away because our eternal standing is certain and sure in the eyes of God himself. We are ones that Jesus has paid the price for. For we have, if you are a member of Centennial, confessed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your hope, as your King, and as the one that you follow. And yet, I have noticed a very anxiety-inducing trend over the past couple months. And that trend is to act as if the house is being consumed. That our very salvation is being consumed. That we might not have a hope. That we might be too shaken. And I know that some of you might be thinking that's not true. Some of you might not be understanding. I would encourage you, together, as a people, we must be ones who look to God. We must be ones who hold fast to the hope that this, Zechariah 5, verses 1 through 4, is not bad news, but good news. We must be ones who are humble enough to say, this is me. And at the same time to say, this is me and Jesus died for me. Therefore, I can rejoice even in that. We must be ones who look to God who find our joy there, who find our contentment there, who find our peace there. Because if we don't, we are the followers of God. And even here, even in what seems like the bad, we hold fast to this, that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. It is why we sing. It is why we come here. Why else would you come? We come for the Lord. We come to worship. We come to rejoice. And in that, 
Even in the dark night of the soul, the dark valley that we walk through, there is light and light everlasting, and the light is the Lord. We know this because God has communicated this to us. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. Let's act like it. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you. God, you are good, and you are gracious, and you are working. And so, Lord, would you continue to do so. Please, God, continue to work. Bless us as we proclaim your word. Bless us as we sing your word. Bless our families as they share your word with the little ones. Bless all of us as we seek to follow you in righteousness, not to save ourselves. God, we know we can't. But because you have saved us. And that is serious. And so God, thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.